I want to take you back in time with me, two and a half days. It's Monday morning, and we're all together in my house. Now, my house is not that big, so we're going to be crowded if we're all together in my house. But let's just use our imagination. And here we're coming off of a great day Sunday. It's Monday morning. And I don't know what most ministers do. I know a little bit about my dad's Monday routine. He's, he's of a stronger constitution of, than I am. So he hits the ground earlier, running harder. He can, he can come off of a Sunday and go quicker on Monday than I can. But I use Mondays to do two things primarily. Number one, to recover from Sunday. Because Sunday can take it out of you. And I think most people who preach a lot on Sunday would say, no, you've got to have a little time on Monday to recover from that experience. And then the second thing I like to do on Monday is to reload and to get ready for the sermons that are coming on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. Just get some direction, get it kind of going in that direction. But before I ever do any of that, I try to have my Bible reading time. And I've noticed this through the years. It seems like when God has something to say to me, but I think it would be true with anybody, he seems to speak, he seems to say the same thing in a lot of different ways. Have you ever noticed that? In other words, like maybe you're struggling with something and you come to church and your Sunday school lesson is about that, your connection group lesson. You come to the service and the sermon's about that. You, you turn the radio on on the way home and somebody's speaking about that or a devotional's about that or a song's about that or some other friend tells you something about that. And you think, well, you know, I think maybe God is speaking to me through all these different ways. And we, Tom Gamble and I had an interesting visit last night. We went to the home of a man down in LaPorte who's never been to our church. He's not here tonight. I think he'll be here Sunday morning. But he's been praying about where he should go to church because he hasn't been going. And one of his friends, this particular man, is Episcopalian. And he has a friend who is a Methodist. And he was talking to his friend. And his friend said, I think you should try First Baptist. I thought, how does this happen? How does a Methodist send an Episcopalian to First Baptist? How could this happen? And so he's been driving by the church. And now his Methodist friend says, you ought to come to First Baptist. And yesterday, he was driving down Fairmont, and his phone rang. He took it. It was a business call. He pulled over in this little strip center right across the street on Fairmont so he could take care of the call, write down what he needed to write down. He finished the call, and he could hear the bells on our bell tower playing those old hymns. And he just said he sat there in the parking lot for a while listening to those. He felt led of God to drive across the street, come to the offices. He did. He met with Suzanne Green, our receptionist. He met with Lisa Allen, another one of our ministry assistants, and just said, you know, I'm looking for a new church. Is there anybody I could talk to? And so Tom and I went to his house last night, and he was telling us this story. While he was at church, somebody gave him one of our little booklets about procrastination. And he said, when Tom and I were at his house last night, he said, you know, I've just been putting off going to church and I see this booklet on procrastination and he said I've been reading it and he said it's really been helpful and it, he said I think God is telling me that I need to quit procrastinating going to church I said this is amazing I said I know the guy that wrote that he is good looking he's a sharp guy he didn't even know it was me who wrote it he didn't know who I was he didn't know us from anybody but uh but what I'm saying is here's a guy trying to know God's will 
Methodist friend says, go to First Baptist. He's at the thing, the bell, the, now the chimes are saying. He comes to church, procrastination. I've been, he said, I think God is speaking to me, telling, and what I'm saying tonight is, that's how, that is how God speaks. God, when he has something to say, he'll say it a lot of different ways. Now, Monday morning, I was at my house, and this week, I'm doing something I've never done. I'm to a part in my Bible reading where I'm supposed to read Psalm 119 which, as you know, is the longest chapter in all the Bible. There's 176 verses in Psalm 119. And so normally I would just say, okay, today it's going to be a lot of reading. But I decided that I was going to divide that psalm up into five days so that each day I would read about 40 verses. And that's what I've been doing. Now open your Bible tonight to Psalm 119. And I want to show you the verse that I read on Monday morning as I was starting my week. I'm recovering from Sunday and I'm reloading for what's to come the rest of this week. And I'm in Psalm 119. And I want to say this, that unless God leads me in a different direction, next Wednesday night I want to do an entire Bible study from Psalm 119. And I want to, if I can, in one sermon... Uh, show you some of the greatest verses in all the Bible that are found in this psalm. So I hope you can be here next Wednesday night. But for tonight's purposes, we're going to just look at one verse in this psalm, and it's the very first verse. And to be honest with you, I've never paid any attention to this verse, probably because normally if I sit down to read Psalm 119, I'm thinking, man, i got a lot of verses to read here. And so probably I missed the first one thinking about how many I have yet to come. So look at what it says, Psalm 119. Blessed or blessed are the undefiled in the way. I like how that sounds. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Now let's just memorize that verse. It has two parts. First, just listen to me say it. I'm quoting out of the New King James. Blessed are the undefiled in the way. Say that with me. Blessed are the undefiled in the way. Say it by yourself. Okay, then we have a comma after that. I'm not saying you have to memorize punctuation. Sometimes it's helpful. The next phrase says, who, and I'm going to make sure I get the walk right, see if it has an S on the end. It does not. Who walk in the law of the Lord. Say that with me. Who walk in the law of the Lord. Say it by yourselves. Now, what helped me to memorize that part, notice the first two words start with the same letter, W, who walk. And then the other main words in the verse uh, both have L's, law, Lord. When you're memorizing Scripture, you, unless you're a genius, which I'm not, you have to have some mnemonic, some learning device, to, some trick to help you learn this, uh, the, the Bible verses. So, who walk in the law of the Lord. We've got two W's and two L's, and you'll notice that verse ends with an exclamation point, which to me, an L is a tall letter. We've got two L's, and so an exclamation point is a, long, is a tall Uh, Mark there at the end, so you've got that. So the verse says, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. You think we could put it all together? Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. And so I read that, and I thought, now God, I want to be blessed. And to be blessed, I'm going to have to be undefiled in the way. In other words, I can't be out there sinning, doing things I ought not to do. I've got to live right before God. And again, none of us are perfect, but I just prayed that. Lord, help me to live a life that would be pure and that would be undefiled. Help me to walk in the law of the Lord. And then I read uh, about 39 more verses because I'm reading about 40 a day. 
other great verses there, but that was the one. When I went to bed on Monday night, that was the verse that I went back to. This is about 1230 now on Monday night. It was too late, but I, it, was, it, was, it had been a long day. I'm laying in my bed, and I'm thinking about the first verse I had read that morning. Blessed are the undefiled in the, in the, in the, blessed are the undefiled in the what? In the, in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. That's what it is. See, I, you have to, I, sometimes you forget. But then I read my devotional book. And the devotional I'm reading is by Billy Graham this year. And he had the title of his devotional on Monday morning. I thought it was odd. Which wing? Which wing? W-I-N-G. And I thought, now where's Dr. Graham going with this devotional? And here's where he was going. He said, if you're flying on an airplane, which wing is the most important wing? The right wing or the left wing? And obviously, they're both equally important. Uh, And he was talking about how in the Christian life, there are two wings. And as we're trying to fly and live right, we have these two wings to keep us moving in the right direction. One is faith and one is works. One is what we believe and one is how we behave. And he did an entire devotional saying, we are saved by faith. We're saved by trusting in Christ. But that doesn't mean that our works don't matter. You can't fly a plane with one wing. And he's talking about faith and works. And he did a whole devotional about the importance of our actions and our attitudes. And our, really not attitude. He did actions and behaviors. And I added attitudes on it because I thought, now, Lord, not only is what I believe important, but my attitude is important, my behavior is important, and my conduct is important, how I live my life. And so I had read that, and I thought, Lord, he's kind of saying the same thing that that verse in Psalm 119 is saying, that we're supposed to be undefiled, that we're supposed to be holy, that we're supposed to be pure, that we're supposed to live a righteous life. And then on Monday, more of my Bible reading had me in the book of Philippians. I wish you would turn there now in the New Testament. And I was assigned to read Philippians chapter 1 and chapter 2. And so I thought, okay, now I've gotten these two readings out of the way. Now I'll go to Philippians and I'll see what Paul has to say in my readings for this morning. And I came down to Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 27. I mean, all these verses are good. But as far as verses that grabbed my attention on Monday morning and that spoke to my heart, verse 27, Paul said, only let your conduct be worthy of of the gospel of Christ. That is a tremendous, tremendous verse. Only, or a a part of a verse. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I'm thinking to myself, God, this is the same thing that I read in Psalm 119. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Billy Graham saying, Got to have these two wings on the plane. Got to have some good behavior. Got to have the right conduct. And now the Apostle Paul is saying, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then I came down to chapter number 2 and looked beginning in verse number 12 at what I read. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Notice Paul said, work it out. Now, your salvation is on the inside of you. 
Paul didn't say work for your salvation. He's not saying do good deeds or have good behavior or the right conduct in order to be saved. No. What he's saying is you work out in your daily life what God has already worked in you. Work it out with fear and trembling. That is, be serious. What Paul is saying when he's talking about with fear and trembling, he's saying don't underestimate the importance of your behavior and your conduct in your daily life. How you live matters. Now, what you believe is what determines whether or not you're saved, if you're trusting Christ or not. But a person can't say, well, you know what? I'm trusting Christ. I've placed my faith in Him. I know I've been saved. You're not saved by works anyway. So bottom line, it really doesn't matter how I live. My behavior is not that important. My conduct's not that important. Well, friend, it's, it doesn't have anything to do with your salvation, but it has everything to do with your witnessing, with your testimony, and being pleasing to God. So it is extremely important how we live our lives. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And then verse 14, he says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So Paul is saying, we live in a dark world. We live in a sin-filled world. But you're a child of God. You've been born again. The Holy Spirit has worked salvation in you. Christ is in you. But you have a responsibility to work out what Christ has worked in. Your behavior and your conduct matter. And he's saying, in this dark world, we have an opportunity to shine like stars to shine like bright lights. You know, I think it would be easy for a minister, for a pastor, a preacher in the day in which we live. And, you know, we all see what's happening in the world. And it would be easy, or if you're a Sunday school teacher or any kind of a Christian leader, to just always talk about how bad the world is and how things are horrible and the sin and, all. you know, what's happening to... It would be easy just to always, you know, blow that horn and everybody would agree, but we would all leave depressed, right? We would all leave saying, man, I knew it was bad. I didn't know it was that bad. I went to church and it's worse than I thought. And I found out about how bad... But Paul says that's not the attitude that you're supposed to have. Paul is saying this, in a dark world, the, the stars shine more brightly. When do you see the stars more clearly? On the darkest of nights, right? Well, the darker it is, the brighter the light can shine. And so I read that Monday morning, and I thought, Now, God, I know you well enough to know that you are speaking to me this morning. And what you are saying to me today is that not only do you value my faith and my trust in you, but you value my behavior, my conduct, and how I live my life. And so, God, I'm just praying at the beginning of this day, at the beginning of this week, that you will help me to live a godly life. That, that my expression of faith, if I can say it that way, would match my profession. In other words, that my walk would match my talk. That how I live would match what I believe. Now, again, none of us are perfect, and we won't be perfect until we see the Lord, but I felt like this was God's message to me. I can assure you, the last thing in my mind on Monday morning was what I was going to be preaching about on Wednesday night. 
I don't normally do the Wednesday night on that much on, on Monday. I, I do sun, whatever I'm going to do on Sunday. My goal is to have an outline before I go to bed on Monday night. But I don't do that much on Wednesday. Maybe have a thought or two. But, no. but as, as the week has gone on, I have thought, you know, God, what you were saying to me privately on Monday morning is applicable to all of us on Wednesday night. And that is our behavior and our conduct matters. To make this even more clear today, I had the radio on at 3.30 today. And if you ever want to hear really good preaching, put your radio station on 105.7 at 3.30 in the afternoon, Monday through Friday. Adrian Rogers is on, and he's one of the most gifted preachers ever. I used to try to hear him every day. It doesn't seem to work for me quite that way now, but I heard him today. And do you know what he was preaching on today, of all things? He was preaching on holiness. And I thought, God, here it comes again. It's the same thing. And he did a whole sermon on how important it is to live a holy, godly life. And so that's what I was, when I was kind of teasing at the beginning, I said, what I'm doing tonight is more of an overflow of what I felt like God has been speaking to me than it is a sermon. But I do have some sermonic things we can jot down, and so it will be practical, and so it will be helpful. You'll notice on your outline tonight that I have divided this, this message into two headings. First, the importance of our actions. Your actions matter. Your behavior matters. How you treat people matters. And so the importance of our actions, let's just fill in these blanks. Number one, our actions prove that our faith is real. Our actions prove that our faith is real. How is an unbeliever going to know that Jesus Christ is real in your life? Based on what you say or based on how you live? Well, it's based on how you live. First of all, you may not even have an opportunity to say anything, but that unbeliever can look at your life and they can see in your life something different than what they have, peace and kindness and thoughtfulness and trying to help people out. And so our actions prove that our faith is real. Unbelievers can't see your faith. That's why James said, faith without works is dead. He's saying that God can see your faith. That's why we're saved by faith. If you trust Christ, you're saved. God sees that faith. But I can't see it. Nobody else can see it. Why do we give an invitation and give people a chance to come forward at the end if they've already been saved? Well, because even though you and God know you're saved, nobody else knows. Why do we have baptism? You're already saved. You're not going to be any more saved after you get baptized. No, but the people, you've got, the people somehow have to see with their eyes something uh, visible to know that you're truly saved. People can't look in your heart. And so our actions prove that our faith is real. Second thought, our actions get the attention of others. Same thing, different way of saying the same thing. It's our actions. People are looking at our actions, not just, not just at our, our words, but how we live our lives. And then our actions honor God. In Matthew chapter 5, you might want to jot this verse down. And in verse number 16... Uh, Jesus is speaking here in the Sermon on the Mount. And notice what Jesus says. Let your light so shine before men. He didn't just say, let your light shine before yourself. Or, you know, you know you're saved and I know you're saved. And so we'll just keep, no. He said, let your light shine before men. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 
And so when your actions, when your behavior, when your conduct is right, then that brings great honor and glory to God. It's the second wing of the airplane. And so I think God, you know, if you're a child of God, you're going to have some of the attributes that your heavenly father has. I mean, my father is sitting right down here. I'm his son. I have his attribute. I was back in East Texas preaching in March, and I'm about the same age now. My dad was when he pastored that church. And so many of the people came up to me and said, John, you're looking more and more like your dad. I said, what can I do to change this? Can I, can I comb my hair? I mean, what do I need to do? Teasing with them. But I have my, I have my, uh, I have my dad's, I mean, he's my father. His blood flows through me. So there are many things about me that would be very similar to him. You would be the same with your parents. Well, spiritually, that same thing is true. If God is our father, his qualities should be in us. And God is looking for those qualities to be in us. And, and when they are, he is greatly honored and other people are blessed. On that sermon I heard Dr. Rogers preaching today, he was telling about a time when he was pastoring down in Florida. He pastored a church, Merritt Island Baptist Church down in, in Florida. It was a great church. And he said down there near where he lived, there was another man who had his name. I never heard this story. Had, he was named Adrian Rogers. Strange name for two people to have in the same state. And he in the close nearby to each other. Well, one day the other Adrian Rogers ended up getting sick and had to be put in the hospital. And somehow in this small town, that made the newspaper. Adrian Rogers is in the hospital with this disease. Please uh, be mindful of it. Well, the pastor, Adrian Rogers, started getting letters in the mail. We're praying for you while you're sick. He, sympathy cards. He said he really didn't mind that. But what he did mind was when he picked up the newspaper one day, and it said, Adrian Rogers arrested and sentenced to jail. And people started calling his house, say to his wife, what did Adrian do? What, how's our pastor been put in jail? Well, it was the other Adrian Rogers. And he had gotten arrested for shooting a turkey out of season. And they put him in jail. But Adrian Rogers, the pastor, was very embarrassed because he said he's never shot a turkey in season or out of season. And now everybody's asking him, why, why is he doing this and why is he in jail? And he said today on his sermon, he said, I never met the other Adrian Rogers. But I wish I would have because I would have said to that fella, either change your conduct or change your name. And I think sometimes that that's maybe what God says to us. Listen, change your conduct or change your name. You're running around telling everybody that you're my child, but your conduct isn't matching up. Change your conduct or change your name. Now, again, I always want to say none of us are going to be perfect but the trajectory of our life, the overall direction of our life should be Godward. And it should be holy. And it should be something that would bring honor and glory to God. So those are some of the, some of the, that is some of the importance of our actions. Now, second heading, some practical action steps that we can take. Number one, most obvious one, when tempted, don't sin. When tempted, don't sin. In other words, we're all tempted. Every day we're tempted to do something we shouldn't do. Well, when you're tempted, just ask God to help you. And as Nancy Reagan used to say back in the 80s, just say no, right? She was talking about drugs. They had the big just say no. Well, that's a good thing to say to any temptation. No, just say no. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give in to that temptation. 
We view temptation as a bad thing. Temptation itself, it, it probably is more bad than good. But within every temptation, there's an opportunity to say no and to bring honor and glory to God. And not only that, when you say no to temptation, you feel good yourself that you didn't do whatever you were being tempted to do. So within every temptation, whether it's a sexual temptation, whether it's a temptation verbally to be rude, whatever the temptation might be, a a temptation to be dishonest, a temptation to cheat, and here's the temptation. Within that temptation, you have an opportunity for evil or for good. You have an opportunity to displease God or to please God. And so look at it positively and say, God, through this temptation, I have an opportunity to just say no And by just saying no, I have an opportunity to honor you. So, just say no. Let me read you a scripture. You might want to write this verse down. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, and in verse number 13, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul's talking about temptation, and he says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. So, sometimes you may feel like, man, I'm being tempted in a way nobody's ever been tempted. No, no. You're being tempted in the same way everybody else has been tempted. Now, the circumstances may be different, but it's a common temptation. And Paul said, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And so with every temptation... There is an escape. There is a, there is a door. There is a, there is a way out of that temptation. If you're, if you're watching television and something bad comes on, there's a remote control. You can, you, can, you can click that. If you have a cable package that maybe has things on there that you don't need to see, but you bought the cable package so your kids can watch cart. I don't know. I'm just making up an example. But it may be that you have to block out some of those stations. So that the, that's a way of escape. That's a way to keep from being tempted to watch things that you shouldn't watch. So there's always a way out. So when tempted, don't sin. Second action step that I think would be, that would certainly improve our, our behavior and, our, and our, our conduct. When angered, don't react. When angered, don't react. I think that's what the Bible talks about when it says, be angry and do not sin. Anger in itself is not sinful. Jesus got angry. And Jesus never sinned. He did not sin in his anger. So just because you get angry about something, there is such a thing as righteous anger, righteous indignation. Billy Graham said he thought 10% of it was righteous and 90% of it was indignation. But still there is such a thing. But sometimes something happens. Somebody may say something to you at work. Somebody may come into your, your supervisor may come into your office tomorrow and say, you're doing an awful job and puts you down. And it makes you angry. Well, when you have that feeling of anger, you haven't sinned. The only sin would be to retort back or to speak back to your supervisor or to your coworker in some rude, demeaning, and unkind way. So, hey, we all feel these, the, sometimes feel a, a, an anger emotion. Somebody said, normally it's based, that's based on what somebody does or it's based on what somebody says, and we feel anger. But you don't have to act on that. You don't have to, you don't have to act on everything you feel. You have to take control of your feelings. You can't let your feelings control you. Do you remember when, maybe you've never seen this, but 
Bill Bright, when he was coming up with the four spiritual laws, of course, the founder of uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, four spiritual laws and so on, and he had these three parts of a train. He had the lead car, and then he had another car, and then he had uh, the caboose at the back. And he said the first one in the spiritual life is the fact, what God says. And the second uh, car here is your faith. You put your faith in the fact of what God says. And the caboose back here, the end of this train, it's your feelings. And your feelings follow your faith in the fact of God's Word. And his point was, many times in the Christian life, we put our feelings out here in the front. And we say, well, if my feelings, I'm just going to kind of, you know, my feelings, I'm just going to follow my feelings. Now, we would never say that. But in, pra- in, in actual fact, that's how we live sometimes. You have to train yourself so that you're, you're not controlled by your feelings. You are in control. Your feelings are like a wild horse. And they have to be broken. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That word meek, it's a picture of a wild horse that has been broken, and now that horse can be safely ridden. And so that's how we have to do our feelings. We have to say, feelings, you're not leading me. I'm leading you. And I'm not going to do what you're making me feel like doing. I'm going to do as best as I can with God's help. I'm going to do what's right. So I think as a general rule in life, it's a good idea not to be a reactor. I find in my life, I am much happier and much more productive if I am proactive as opposed to being reactive. I'm not a good reactor in the sense, like if I'm in the office all day and people ask me 10 different questions. Well, that puts me in a mode of reacting. In other words, like if I, if I, did, if I had a steady diet of that every day, I would have zero to say when I came out here to preach, and I would always be frustrated and my hair wouldn't look good because I'd about pulled it out. Because all day long, I would be putting out fires. What do you think about this? John, what do you think about this? You think we should do this? Well, I'm not saying there's not a place for that, but I'm saying if a, if a, if a, if a guy in my position just came up here every day and just walked around the halls and people started asking him questions, there would be no vision, there would be no leadership, there would be no proactivity. It would just all be like, I'm here to react. And if somebody comes by, I'll talk to them. If somebody calls, I'll talk to them. If somebody has an emergency, I'll try to help it. I'm not saying there's not a place. There is a place for that. But I'm saying if that's how a person lives his whole life, you just react. Well, if, if reacting just in a work schedule is not even healthy, how much worse would it be if a person was just a reactor in life? In other words, somebody says something, it angers the person, here's a reaction. Well, most people live that way. But that's not how God wants us to live. And that's why it says, be angry. It's okay to have that angry feeling, but don't sin. Don't act on that. I heard a story years ago about, I'm telling you all all my good stories on Wednesday night, on a rainy Wednesday night. So if I tell these again on Sunday, you have to laugh again. You promise? Say, I promise. I promise. Because if you don't, I'm going to start holding back on you on Wednesday night. If you don't, I'm just teasing. But I heard talking about how we can control our feelings. There was a man who was in the park one day walking his son, a little one-year-old boy maybe six months, had him in a stroller, and that boy was crying, pitching a fit, throwing things out of the stroller, just being horrible, and that father just walked him around the little track there around the the lake in the middle, and he said, now, Arnold, you just calm down. Arnold, you just be calm. Arnold, you get a hold of yourself. Well, a lady was kind of walking, and she heard this, and she thought, that's, that's a good father, and he's being so patient with his son, Arnold. And she walked up to him. She said, sir, I don't mean to be intrusive. I couldn't help but see your kid's been throwing 
pacify everything out of this stroller, but you've been so kind talking to little Arnold. And he said, ma'am, I'm Arnold. That's Billy. He said, I've been telling myself, calm down, take it easy, get a hold of yourself. And so I think sometimes that's what we have to do. When angered, don't react. In life, most of the things we regret are our reactions, not our actions. Our actions put us in control. You get the spirit. I mean, God's in control. But it puts self-control, us in control better. So when anger, don't react. Number two, number three, rather, when a need arises, meet it. When a need arises, if you can, meet that need. And I think our church is so good on that. But even in your personal life, apart from the church, with a neighbor or with somebody, if you see a need, somebody has a need for prayer, for encouragement, for food, for whatever it might be, if you see a need and you can meet it, meet that need. And then number four, when you feel led, bless somebody. Now, I said it carefully on that. I said when you feel led because there will be times in your life when God will lead you to meet somebody's need, when God will lead you to be a blessing to somebody, when God will lead you to do something kind uh, for somebody, maybe to buy something for somebody or to do something for somebody. And so when you feel led of God to do something like that, just step out. And when you do it, your actions, your conduct, your behavior It's going to be matching what your faith is all about. Now, one other verse, but I want you to see it. Turn to the end of the New Testament, 1 John chapter number 2. 1 John chapter 2. And this is a tremendous verse that tells us why our actions, our attitude, our behavior, our conduct, how we treat people, why it is so very important. See, the Christian life is not just what you believe. That's how you get saved. But the Christian life also has a lot to do with our behavior. And here's the ultimate incentive to, if I could go back to the verse I quoted earlier, to live a pure and godly life. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Now, why should we try to be living like that? Well, look at 1 John 2, verse 28. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. John said, And now, little children... Abide in Him. We're talking on Sunday mornings about abiding in Jesus. Abide in Him that when He appears, talking about the return of Christ, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. John is saying, here is your ultimate motive for living right, for acting right, for being good to people, for watching your behavior. It's so that when Jesus comes back, he'll catch you doing something right, not doing something wrong. When Jesus comes back, I don't want Jesus to find me doing something I have no business doing. I want Jesus to find me doing something that would be right, either reading my Bible, praying, helping somebody, being being kind, doing something that Jesus would say, now, John, I'm proud of you. You're doing exactly what I wanted you to do. So John says, That we should abide in Him so that when Christ appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Now, here's the ultimate question. You still listen? Say amen. Amen. To know whether or not you're truly abiding. I'm going to get back into that abiding again on Sunday morning. But if you're truly abiding and if you are seeking to live right, 
Not perfectly, but, but in the right direction. Does the thought of Jesus Christ coming back tonight make you happy and excited? Or does it kind of make you fearful and intimidated? I think if you answer that question honestly and you say, man, the thought of Jesus coming back tonight, I know I'm saved, but man, if I really thought Jesus was coming back tonight, there might be somebody I need to apologize to. There might be something I need to change. If I thought tonight at 1130 Jesus was coming back, okay, well, then this sermon is perfect for you. So whatever you need to do, if Jesus were coming back tonight at 1130, go ahead and do that before 1130 if you can. But if the thought of Jesus coming back makes you think, you know what, I'm, I'm not perfect clearly, but I am forgiven. I don't think there's any unfinished or unresolved business between me and somebody else. Anybody I've offended, I think I've asked him to forgive me of that. And so I don't, I don't think there's anything hanging up in the air like that. So I know I'm saved. And so the thought of Jesus Christ coming back tonight at 1130, it just makes me happy and it just helps me to know that my life's fixed to get a whole lot better because I'm going to be in heaven tonight before midnight. I mean, what I'm saying is that's why we should try our best to live a life that honors God, that is holy, and that is pure so that when Christ returns, we can have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. You know the old saying, you, you, sometimes you hear somebody, maybe if there's a hurricane coming, or, and you'll ask somebody, well, did you get ready for the hurricane? Did you get your water bottle? Did you get your batteries for your flashlight? Did you get ready? And, and sometimes you'll hear somebody say something like this. I didn't get ready. I stay ready. You know, the person who stays ready doesn't have to get ready. Well, apply that to the return of Christ. You see, the reason we have to stay ready for the return of Christ, he's not telling us what time he's coming back. In fact, Jesus said in the Bible, if the, thief, if the owner of the house knew what time the thief was coming, he wouldn't have gotten caught off guard. And Jesus, in that analogy, said, it's kind of like that with my return. If you knew exactly when I was coming, you would be ready. But since you don't know exactly when I'm coming, Jesus was saying, you just better always be ready. See, it's a good thing Jesus didn't tell us. Because if Jesus said, I'm coming back on February 17, 2029, we would think, man, I've got plenty of time to get ready. But God didn't want us living like that. God says, I want you living like I could come at any moment because friend let me tell you something he can and when he comes back we want to be ready amen heads bowed and eyes closed as you think about your life I know most everybody here tonight is saved and you you've already you've got the faith wing up in your life but how about this other wing your actions your behavior your conduct is there anything in your life at this time, and sometimes in all of our lives, there are things that needs to be repented of, that needs to be addressed, that needs to be dealt with, so that when Christ comes, He finds you, not only with the right stuff in your heart, but with the right things in your life. Father, help us to take this message tonight, really as a wake-up call, that our actions do matter and Lord if there's anyone listening to this message tonight or if there's anyone who will listen to this message God online later on who has something in his life or her life that's not right 
God, I pray that right now, wherever they may be, they will make it right with you. Help them to do the right thing, knowing that it takes two wings for an airplane to fly. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation and give some chan- a chance tonight to get saved. Maybe you've, you've never placed your faith in Christ. Maybe you'd like to talk to a minister about that tonight. So during this next song, we're going to ask you to come forward. We'll help you with that. Maybe tonight you want to join the church. There were several who joined last Wednesday night. So maybe tonight you'd like to do that. While we stand and while we sing, Father, have your way in invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the people said.